Good morning. Go ahead and grab your seats. We are going to continue on with our Easter celebration. All right. He is risen. Yes. I'm going to try and sneak that in and see how well you can respond on the fly throughout the rest of our time together. Uh, my name is Devin. I'm a pastor here at the Commons LA. It is a joy to be able to finally meet together after the last couple of years having altered Easter celebrations. It is a sheer joy. Um, we gather on Sundays because we believe that Easter is, is true, that resurrection has happened. And that the Son of God is alive. Amen? Amen? And so we get to celebrate that and remember that today, but we're not following a tradition. We're not looking back on a historical thing that has no bearing on our now. We believe that Jesus is alive. And we believe that He is present and that His Holy Spirit actually is with us as we gather as the body of Jesus. And so um, I invited a couple of people, friends, uh, members of the Commons LA church community to be up here with me to just simply share how the living Jesus has been actively present and working in their lives over the last season. So I have with, with me Aaron up here. Let's give Aaron a hand. And David and Sarah Nada. And they're going to be sharing just a glimpse about what this living, resurrected Jesus that we celebrate on Easter Sunday has actually done in the last seasons of their life. So Aaron, why don't you give us a little glimpse about what he has done. You should be live. Hello. Hello. There we go. Thanks, Devin. Hi, I'm Aaron. Uh, hi. Uh, so, yeah, I've been here for a little over a year, year and a half now, um, but I've been a Christian my entire life, and, like, the, the truth of God, the gospel, the realness of Jesus has always been ever-present and real in my life. But, Around the time of college, for the decade afterwards, um, I really started to sort of fade away w without a focus on God and lose my fellowship with Him. And through that, a, a lot of things happened. Because my heart wasn't focused on God, it became focused on myself. And there, when you focus on yourself, then you start um, idolizing different things of the world. Um, be it um, power, money, sex. And, you know, throughout, you know, most of my professional life, um, you know, achieved various amounts of that, but there was no amount of, like, peace or any of that. And throughout this entire time, God has always pursued me because I was his. He pursued me and convicted me, uh, you know, throughout those, the entire time that I, I wasn't focused on him. And in, in God's faithfulness, um, he, he slowly had, you know, changed my heart. And, you know, a few years ago, I, I just started to, uh, you know, read God's Word more. And this time I listened a, a lot more. And I listened. And through that, it really renewed my mind and transformed my heart. And it, it's through God's faithfulness that um, you know, I, I saw the error in my ways and the folly and the lack of wisdom I had through all that. Mm. You know, a, a lot of the chaos in this world, especially the chaos in my heart that I had, was because I decided to make myself king, um, not God. 
And in that, that really is not how God wants you to live. It's not how you are meant to live. And through that, there's just incredible pain and loneliness and chaos. And But through God's faithfulness and through sort of centering your heart on Him, you're able to really understand sort of how God really intended you to live, true joy. And, you know, if I can find God um, and sort of God pursued me and, is, and was faithful and me pursuing him back and how that really brought order and right to the world. I, I hope a lot of you, you can do that as well. Mm-hmm. Amen. Amen. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you, Aaron. Thank you. So, yeah, the experiencing real life in the Lord alone, in Jesus alone. So powerful. So powerful. David and Sarah, why don't you share with us what Jesus has been doing in your life over this last season? Good morning. Still t- yeah, still alive. Um, speaking of alive, right, today's about celebrating <laughs> Jesus being alive, right? <laughs> and one of the implications of that is that our faith should be alive as well, yeah. right? If our God isn't dead, our belief system shouldn't be either. Yeah. James chapter 2 talks about faith without works being dead, mm. right? If we claim that we've met a God who compels us to love others and our lives aren't changed, then what exactly do we believe? Um, so yeah, one of, the, one of the ways in which like living out life looks like is loving people and caring for people. And all throughout scripture, there's a call to love and care for people of various circumstances, uh, and one of which, as repeated time and time again, is loving and caring for the widow and the orphan. Uh, over the past several years, for my wife and I, living out our faith has looked like being involved and engaged in the foster community of Los Angeles. From advocating and volunteering to mentoring and actually fostering, uh, we've seen God show us his empowering grace to sustain us and his faithfulness to go before us. Yeah, so we recently became foster parents. We had two girls in our home, nine and 10 years old, from November to March. They are now home and happy with their mom, which is amazing and a praise. Yes, you can definitely clap. And foster parenting, at least for us, looked a lot like um, parenting and loving, sacrificing, all of those things, uh, but without the label of a parent and without that earned and um, like time given trust and love and just like felt safety from the beginning. So it was a lot of sacrifice and I don't think, it was definitely not the darkest season of our lives, but it was one of the most difficult. It truly required the most of us uh, as individuals and as a couple. And in the midst of that, God was so good to give us uh, so much grace and love. And I have never felt his kindness like I did in that season. And it's easy to hear those words in a Christian context and be like, yeah, God's loving and graceful and stuff. But it's another thing to, for those things to be truly the thing that got us through every day for four months, um, time and time again. And by the end, I was no longer asking God, like, how am I going to get through the next hour? But uh, I was still confused about the future, still uncertain about what would happen, but a lot more trusting that he would get us through it, whatever it was. And he did that through prayers of leaders in this church who uh, prayed for spiritual healing, and there was spiritual healing, amazing, um, through so many of you who tutored and babysat and just gave us a break to work or whatever and have a moment. And uh, you all did so much through meals and things like that. So God showed us just his love just internally, but also 
through you all tangibly loving us, we would not have been able to do it. And that's not an exaggeration without you all and our community. So we thank you for that. And as David said, there were so many ways that we were got our toes dipped in the water before we ever did anything like fostering. So if you're interested in any of those ways that you can get involved that don't have that uh, time commitment or whatever, uh, please let us know and we would love to share. There's so many ways. So yeah, yeah. praise God. Yeah. Amen, amen. Yes, yes, actually, I'm going to have you go ahead and pin. Um, if, if Jesus can work in these ways through regular people, I, I know these three, I can tell you, they are very normal, broken, beautiful, compassionate people who are just like us. And if Jesus is alive enough to work in their lives internally and through them externally, he can do the same in all of you. And that's why we're doing this. That's why we believe what we believe and why we gather together in these ways. So let's give them a hand for, for sharing with us the ways that Jesus has been working in their lives. You can go ahead and uh, grab your seats. And I'm going to pray for us. Um, we're going to transition to actually see in the scriptures um, God's word telling us that this is the offer. That he provides the inner peace and the life that we long for and beyond that that he actually wants to invite us into his life, the life of self-giving love. And so, uh, would you pray with me? Jesus, we simply praise you. We stand in awe that as we reflect only a little bit over the difficulty of the last two plus years, that we get to sit here and gather in such a public space, praising your name, knowing and believing that you are alive and that you are with us, we bless you. We ask, Holy Spirit, would you open the eyes of our hearts and all my friends that are sitting here to see the glory of the living Jesus this Resurrection Sunday. As we open up your scriptures, would you please speak to us, Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. All right, so I already mentioned Jesus is the center of why we celebrate, why we gather here every Sunday, but especially on days like today for Easter Sunday. Um, it's glorious news that Jesus is alive, is it not? It's the kind of glorious news that's, that's so impactful and significant that we can start to actually, it can start to become normal to us. For those of you who have been around Jesus and around the church for a long time or you've been following Jesus, we need the weekly reminder gathering all together like this, oh yeah, Jesus is alive. Everything is different than what the world tells me, than even sometimes what the voice inside me tells me. And so we need to know that, especially over the last two years. I mean, I've had so many conversations with many of you about how not only the last two years were so hard, but the continuing effects of how hard the last two years were are still hindering us, right? And so as we thought about um, uh, today and realizing that, man, we live in a divided world. We live in a divided world, right? I've heard some commentators talk about how more than any other time since the Civil War, in their historically professional opinion, we're divided. And I think a couple of the simple reasons for that that I hope all of us would agree on, we've been isolated from one another for a long time, especially in the midst of COVID in a big city like LA. We've just been removed from life with one another, right? And so much of the difficulty has come from the fact that we've just felt alone and lonely. But the second piece of the division that comes is because 
we've actually started to grow like a little bit more hostile towards each other. Whether it's politics or COVID policy or racial injustice and how to deal with it and fix it and address it, we're like pitted against each other in our world and the narrative and the news cycle and social media, all of these things, even in the church of Jesus, we experience division. So how does Jesus, if he's alive, deal with that? I want us to simply see in the scriptures today that the kind of peace that Aaron was talking about, realizing that life is found in Jesus, and the kind of peace that's not just the, the lack of negative hostility, but actually proactively giving yourselves for those who are in need, is real in the living Jesus. Amen? He is risen. Excellent. You guys are good. I love it. I love it. Division, it's a reality for us today. Um, Associated Press, multi-page montage called Divided America Online. You can go online and find it. Here's a quote that just sums up what we're talking about. It's no longer just Republican versus Democrat or liberal versus conservative. It's the 1% versus the 99%. Rural versus urban. White men against the world. Climate doubters clash with believers. Bathrooms have become battlefields. Borders are battle lines. Sex and race, faith and ethnicity. The melting pot seems to be boiling over. It's just the Associated Press making observations. And if Jesus Christ is alive, if he does not deal with this in the promise of opening heaven to earth and saying, God is here and you can have flourishing life, he better deal with our dividedness. Amen? So I wonder for us how we think in our life, the people that we've been divided from, I mean, let's be honest, I'm sure everyone in the hearing of my voice has probably lost a friend in COVID. And I don't mean necessarily the tragedy of the illness, but the distance or the dividedness of opinion and preference. Think about someone that you are tangibly divided from. And think about that experience where you feel it and you just don't even want to address it. It's just easier to turn the other way and ignore it and pretend like it didn't happen. Here's why the resurrection of Jesus changes even that. Because our dividedness is nothing more than a side effect of death. It's relational death. We were created for relationship. And if Jesus rose defeating death in the life that he has in the resurrection, surely he can address our dividedness. Amen? So let's open up the scriptures now and keep in your mind that relationship, that person, even the group that you sense hostility towards. And we're going to see just how Jesus may speak to us. Inside your handout, we printed out the scripture that we're going to be walking through today. Um, Ephesians chapter 2. As a church, we've been walking through this letter to the Ephesians. It's called Ephesians because that was the church, the city that the church it was written to was located in ancient Ephesus in modern-day Turkey. And if you're just joining us today, um, i got to give you a little primer. got to give you a little primer. If you're jumping in right here in Ephesians chapter 2, it's going to sound a little weird. <laughs> it's, there's some things that he's going to reference that the Apostle Paul, the author, is going to reference that, that are like, what in the world are you talking about? And you got to imagine, you need the context in order to properly understand. It's like you're dropped into the Marvel Universe, and Avengers Civil War is happening, 
and you're like, Iron Man and Captain America are trying to kill each other? And without the context, you have no idea how crazy it is that two of the foremost superheroes are going after each other, right? But if you have the context, you understand. So I'm going to give you a little bit of that, but I just want you to be open while we're reading this, okay? Can we do that? All right, great, great. Would you stand with me for the reading of God's Word? We do that simply as a sign of reverence to lead our hearts and souls to remember the privilege and the joy it is to have the Scriptures. Ephesians chapter 2, verses 11 through 22 say this, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, there's some of the weirdness we'll talk about, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were once far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law of commandments expressed in ordinances that he might create in himself one new man in the place of two, so making peace, and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. And he came and preached peace to you who were far off, and peace to those who were near. For through him we both have access in one spirit to the Father. So then, you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God, built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone, in whom the whole structure being joined together grows into a holy temple in the Lord. In him you also are being built together into a dwelling place for God by the Spirit. Y'all can take a seat. Two simple observations for us this morning that I want us to take away about how the resurrection of Jesus Christ, this Resurrection Sunday, speaks to the division that is so normal in our world. The first one is... Jesus himself is peace among us. Jesus is peace among us. In verses 11 and 12, the writer of this passage, the Apostle Paul, he's speaking to two groups, and this is kind of the context stuff I was telling you about. One he calls the uncircumcision, and the other he calls the circumcision. The uncircumcision refers to just, we're making it through the wind, elements, you're going to see stuff falling down. It's going, to be, it's going to be okay. We'll let you know if a tornado develops and we have to run for cover in the parking garage over there. But this group called the uncircumcision, these are non-Jewish people. Um, circumcision, I don't know if you're aware, created as a symbol of God's covenant with his people where it, it showed their reverence for his word, their promise to allegiance to God. And so every male among the Jewish people, all the way up until Jesus, was circumcised. That became shorthand nomenclature for God's people. The uncircumcision, everyone else, called Gentiles, non-Jews. 
Paul is speaking to a church in a city, now that Jesus is alive, who has broken down these walls that have previously divided people, and the living Jesus himself stands between those two groups. We're so used to identity politics in our day. This is like ancient identity politics. You had groups and associations with these groups that, that led to hostility between the two. And Paul in the early church is looking at the church, the people of God, and he's saying, if Jesus is alive, the people you previously hated are not just people you shouldn't hate anymore. They're your family. Enemies are made friends, friends into family. And the living Jesus himself stands, himself stands among you to produce and create peace. This is good news. The hostility was so crazy in this time. They've actually found remnants of the ancient temple that was in Jerusalem, was the holiest of holy places. God himself dwelt in the very center of it. And this was an inscription that they found in a wall that divided where the Gentiles could go to and where the people of God, the Jewish people, could go to. And it said this on the block, no foreigner or Gentile is to enter within the forecourt around the sanctuary. Whoever is caught will have himself to blame for his subsequent death. Hostility doesn't get too much more than death threats, right? This is the kind of hostility that was had between these two groups. But it wasn't simply this kind of inner hostility toward one another. Um, some commentators believe that when Paul references the dividing wall of hostility right here, he may actually be referencing that very wall. Jesus came to deal with it. I already mentioned one of the main problems that Paul is dealing with is division in the church. How do we get along with each other? How do we not just sit here, a lot of people sitting here right now, how do we actually do life with each other? I mean, I don't, I don't want to be a pastor of a community that just gathers for an event and a production on Sundays. we got to actually learn how to follow Jesus together. And if we're going to do that, we got to actually have the foundation that can pass through conflict, right? And that's what Jesus provides for us. I mean, kids sitting around here, you guys know what I'm talking about. Probably better than any of us, at least in the way that you feel it, and it's new for you. Think about that kid at the playground or recess. You're like, whenever you're playing together, it always ends up hostile. You're like, ah, you get in an argument, get in a fight, whatever it might be. Older kids, social media, whenever you're interacting on there, you feel like you're sliding each other. Like, this is ingrained in our humanness, everyone. Division is what we just accept. But Paul is saying, the living Jesus is himself peace and has made enemies into family. You guys don't believe me. Think about that person, that group, that friend. Maybe it's even family that you've been divided from. Jesus himself is with us in a way that provides peace in the same way that we know when we're hostile towards someone, sometimes we just need someone to enter into that who can speak rationally to us and can see each side and say, this is not what we want, right? We need a mediator. That's who Jesus is. That's who we are as a church. That's why our first stated value as a community people is, is live Jesus-centered because everything flows from there. 
That is exactly what Jesus' life-bringing resurrection does to the dividedness and hatred that comes so naturally to our humanity. Verse 14, I'll just read it again. For Jesus himself is our peace, who made us both one and tore down the dividing wall of hostility. If Jesus can do it through one of the most just thick, divided people groups in all the ancient world, can I just suggest to you that Republican and Democrat isn't that big of a deal for Jesus to bring peace to? Can I just suggest to you that the people that, that, that have different preferences than you in worship music, isn't that hard of a thing for him to produce peace in? How much more the person who, is, who has wronged you or defrauded you or who's actively oppressing you, even there, Jesus can provide what you need in order to both make amends if you're the oppressor and also to invite you into the process of forgiveness that you can actually be reconciled because Jesus is with us. Amen? The living Jesus himself is our peace. I just want to give us a simple warning though. Real peace requires conflict and Jesus is a peacemaker who doesn't settle for fake peace. That means we all love to talk about peace, but we might not love the work of peacemaking. If you want to follow Jesus into the peace he has created, you need to be ready to be confronted in your desire not to have peace with certain people. Whoever the those people are, don't think that Jesus won't change you, expose your unwillingness to forgive, or your stereotypes, or prejudices, or even racism, or how you use your resources for yourself when the needy are around you, or just plain meanness. If we want to walk with Jesus, and I know we do, we need to hold with open hands even who we think we are, and even our pain and difficulty. We can do that by the help of the Holy Spirit. I want to read us an account of one person who powerfully conveys this living Jesus and what he does. Corrie ten Boom was a young Dutch girl during World War II that was imprisoned with her family for hiding Jewish people in their house. They were a Christian family taken to internment camps where her sister actually died. This is an account of her seeing one of the guards from the internment camp that she was held in who had become a follower of Jesus. Yours and my division probably ain't that bad. This is what she says. It was in a church in Munich that I saw him, a balding, heavy-set man in a gray overcoat, a brown felt hat clutched between his hands. People were filing out of the basement room where I'd just spoken, moving out along the rows of wooden chairs to the doors at the rear. It was 1947, and I had come from Holland to defeat Germany, to defeated Germany with the message that God forgives. It was the truth they needed most to hear in that bitter, bombed-out land, and I gave them my favorite mental picture. Maybe because the sea is never far from a Hollander's mind. I like to think that that's where forgiven sins were thrown. When we confess our sins, I said, God casts them into the deepest ocean, gone forever. The solemn faces stared back at me, not quite daring to believe. There were never questions after a talk in Germany in 1947. People stood up in silence, and silence collected their wraps, and silence left the room. And that's when I saw him. 
working his way forward against the others. One moment I saw the overcoat and the brown hat, the next a blue uniform and a visored cap with its skull and crossbones. It came back with a rush. The huge room with its harsh overhead lights, the pathetic pile of dresses and shoes in the center of the floor, the shame of walking naked past this man. I could see my sister's frail form ahead of me, ribs sharp beneath the parchment skin. Betsy, how thin you were. Betsy and I had been arrested for concealing Jews in our home during the Nazi occupation of Holland. This, meant, this man had been a guard at Ravensbrück concentration camp where we were sent. Now he was in front of me, hand thrust out. A fine message, Fraulein. How good it is to know that as you say, our sins are at the bottom of the sea. And I, who had so glibly spoken of forgiveness, fumbled in my pocket rather than take that hand. He would not remember me, of course. How could he remember one prisoner among the thousands of women? But I remembered him and the leather crop still swinging from his belt. It was the first time since my release that I had been face to face with one of my captors and my blood seemed to freeze. You mentioned Ravensbrook in your talk, he was saying. I was a guard there. No, he did not remember me. But since that time, he went on, I have become a Christian. I know that God has forgiven me for the cruel things I did there, but I would like to hear it from your lips as well, Fraulein. Talk about maybe some low emotional IQ. Again, the hand came out. Will you forgive me? And I stood there, I whose sins had every day to be forgiven and could not. Betsy had died in that place. Could he erase her slow, terrible death simply for the asking? It could not have been many seconds that he stood there, hand held out, but to me it seemed hours as I wrestled with the most difficult thing I ever had to do. For I had to do it. I knew that. The message that God forgives has a prior condition that we forgive those who have injured us. If you do not forgive men their trespasses, Jesus says, neither will your Father in heaven forgive your trespasses. I knew it not only as a commandment of God, but as a daily experience since the end of the war. I had, come, I had, had a home in Holland for victims of Nazi brutality. As we, as we end, those who were able to forgive their former enemies were able also to return to the outside world and rebuild their lives no matter what the physical scars. Those who nursed their bitterness remained invalids. It was as simple and as horrible as that. And still I stood there with the coldness clutching my heart. But forgiveness is not an emotion. I knew that too. Forgiveness is an act of the will and the will can function regardless of the temperature of the heart. Jesus, help me, I prayed silently. I can lift my hand. I can do that much. You supply the feeling. And so woodenly, mechanically, I thrust my hand into the one stretched out to me. And as I did, an incredible thing took place. The current started in my shoulder, raced down my arm, sprang into our joined hands. And then this healing warmth seemed to flood my whole being, bringing tears to my eyes. I forgive you, brother, I cried, with all my heart. For a long moment, we grasped each other's hands, the former guard and the former prisoner. 
I, have never, I had never known God's love so intensely as I did then. And having thus learned to forgive in this hardest of situations, I never again had difficulty in forgiving. I wish I could say it. I wish I could say that merciful and charitable thoughts just naturally flowed from me from then on, but they didn't. If there's one thing I've learned at 80 years of age, it's that I can't store up good feelings and behavior, but only draw them fresh from God each day. Family, I read that long account because just as we heard from two different people up here beforehand about the living Jesus, this is the peace that we're reading about in Ephesians 2. This is real life that we were created for. This world is broken. You, I know that if we listen to everyone sitting here, the amount of pain and brokenness and hurt and unfulfilled longing and anger would, would fill up weeks of us sharing. But this is who the living Jesus is. And if he's alive, as we celebrate on Easter Sunday, this is what he offers you and me for following him. Would you be open to that? That first peace between us is reflective ultimately of the peace that Jesus brought us and God. Paul referenced that the cross was the means for the peace that God provides for his people. And first and foremost, we need to see the vertical nature of Good Friday. That God was removing every barrier between you and I and the Lord. The one who created us, who took on human flesh, and laid down his life on Good Friday. Sometimes we have a hard time imagining that the God who feels so distant at times can be keenly aware of the brokenness we experience in everyday life. And the cross puts an end to that question. God has extended his hand of peace to us. And on Easter Sunday, on Resurrection Sunday, his life bursts forth into the world for anyone who would just take hold of it. And so maybe you're here and you hear stories like this and you just can't imagine that kind of transformation and power in you. You can't imagine being able to give yourself away in love. That's why Jesus came. That's why we're here celebrating and pronouncing Jesus is alive. We're celebrating. And we're going to eat together. And we're going to play games together afterwards. Because he's here. And it has real effect on our real lives. And so the invitation to you simply is this. Would you look to this Jesus and in all of your doubts say, if you are here and alive and the tomb is empty and 2,000 years later your spirit still moves, I'm open. I want to trust. Would you make yourself real to me? That's the invitation. The peace that God invites you and me to have. Experiencing real life and wholeness and joy that nothing can take from us. That pours out horizontally to produce peace among us because we have what we need in the kingdom of God, in heaven at hand through Jesus. So too, we can love each other, even our enemies. Amen? All right, I'm going to invite the band to come up and they're going to lead us as a in a time of response. Prayer team, you can come up as well. There are two simple things 
Maybe there's, there's something going on in each of us here. If you've been a Christian for very long, chances are you could think about someone that you might have um, current division with. And maybe you're on the side of being hurt, and the Spirit is inviting you to simply forgive whether or not the relationship can be reconciled. Maybe some of you are sitting here and you say you're a follower of Jesus and you've hurt someone. You've taken advantage of someone. You've slandered someone. This same Jesus calls you to be a peacemaker. It means you've got to own what you've done. Maybe in that process of repentance, he'll meet you and make himself more real to you. And if those of you who wouldn't consider yourself a follower of Jesus, the invitation is to receive the vertical peace of the cross and the life that is assured to you in the resurrection. So you could do that by praying. Our prayer team would love to pray with you. You can go up to them and you could simply say, hey, I want to follow Jesus. If that's who he is, I'm in. Would you pray for me? They would love to pray for you. Maybe you're struggling and wrestling through something. They would love to pray for you as well. But I have two things for all of you to consider. Two things. Jesus gave us two powerful realities that we take part in as a church community um, every week in one with communion and a second one with baptism. Baptism is the, is the active participation of being dunked into the life of God, Father, Son, and Spirit. And some of you haven't been baptized yet. Taking hold of this life as a follower of Jesus, a fundamental step is immersing ourselves into that reality through baptism. And in the coming weeks, we're going to have a baptism service. So if you are a follower of Jesus and you haven't been baptized, I would just call you to take hold of the gift that Jesus invites you to. You can come up and talk to me afterwards, our prayer team, whoever it might be. We'll get your contact information and we'd love to keep you up to date. The second sacrament or gift blessing that God has given us is communion. You see it up here, stage right and stage left. Bread and wine. Jesus gave his disciples these things and said, take and eat this is my body broken for you. This is my blood shed for you. Take this in remembrance of me. When we do this, this is not just a symbol. This is our participation in the mysterious life and presence of our resurrected Savior. And so if you're a follower of Jesus, take communion today in reverence and joy that Jesus is with you. We're not alone, fam. And maybe for you today, this is the first time that you would take communion because you say, if that's Jesus, I want in. We would love for you to take communion with us as well. The band is going to be leading us in song. I'm just going to pray that this Jesus would make himself more real to us today than when we first walked into this parking lot. Amen? Lord Jesus, would you do that? Holy Spirit, thank you that you are alive, that you move among us. Please let every one of us in the hurt in the pain, in the longing, in the beauty, whatever it is in our hearts, help us to see the glory of our resurrected Jesus today. Everyone said, Amen.